Well, here we are at the end of July, and here we are at the end uh, of our sermon series of Till We Have Faces, and we've been talking about that all summer long, and, and God's got something new for us to start looking at, and so we'll start doing that next week. But I have a question, show of hands, and you can be honest this morning, how many of you have spent time reading or studying the book of Elijah? Anybody? Anybody? Well, don't worry if you haven't, because neither have I. There isn't one. There isn't one. You know, one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament, the man who appeared with Moses alongside Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the man who held up, who was held up by James as the model of faith, when uh, James said that Elijah prayed and the rain stopped and he prayed again and the rains began. Um, this prophet Elijah, he doesn't even have his own book in the Bible. Unlike most of what we think of as the biblical prophets, you know, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, most of Elijah's ministry is recounted as a story and not as a series of written prophecies and most of that story is recorded in the book of kings and it occurs under the reign of king ahab so when uh, we called don tomalino this week to say here's the scripture reading and are you still willing to come and read and he said yes um he said but it seems like it starts in the middle of a story and in fact it does um here in the 19th chapter of First Kings, um, starts right smack in the middle of a story. And so I want to take a few minutes and give you a bit of a recap to help catch us up to where we find Elijah in our reading today. I think a lot of times we hear this story and, and we talk about how God wasn't in the fire and he wasn't in the wind and he wasn't in the earthquake um, without really realizing where Elijah has been up to this point without really thinking about um, what's been going on in his life. And so the first time we hear about Elijah, he's showing up before King Ahab and says there's going to be a drought. The drought's going to last until Elijah says otherwise. And that drought, he tells King Ahab, is all his fault. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty gutsy uh, move to go before the king and tell him, hey, this drought's coming and it's all your fault. But you see, Ahab is what the Old Testament considered a bad king. He, he set up altars to some of the false gods and he married a foreign princess instead of someone from Israel. Maybe you've heard of her before. Uh, her name was Jezebel. If that gives you any indication of who Ahab was. So he marries Jezebel they lead Israel to begin worshiping Baal and Asherah. And King, 1 Kings 16 tells us that Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any of the kings of Israel before him. Yikes. And this is the guy that Elijah goes to and says, the drought's coming and it's all your fault. So Elijah calls for the drought. And then he hightails it out of there and he goes and hides by the stream. 
While he's there, ravens bring him food each day, but eventually the stream dries up, and so God sends him to a widow in a little town that we've probably never heard of, and he sends her to a town, or he sends Elijah to a town that doesn't even belong to Israel. It's in Sidon, which happens to be where Jezebel is from and where her father is the king. Um, so God miraculously prov- provides food for Elijah and the widow and her son. Uh, maybe you remember that story of the oil and the water, or the oil and the flour that didn't run out uh, through, the whole, through the whole entire drought, which ended up lasting about three and a half years. That's a long time. That's a long time. And then God sends Elijah back to King Ahab. And Elijah calls for that famous showdown between himself as the prophet of the true God of Israel and the prophets of Baal. And so they gather, everyone together, on Mount Carmel. Elijah on one side, 450 prophets of Baal on the other side, and they say, here's how this is going to go down. Elijah gets one bull, the prophets of Baal get another bull, And whichever God answers with fire, that's how we know who the true God is. Seems simple enough, right? Right? Maybe not. Uh, So the prophets of Baal spent all day chanting and cutting themselves and crying out to Baal to answer them and to send fire on on the sacrifice. Nothing. There's not a story, there's not a a sound, there's not a response, there's nothing. Um, Eventually, Elijah begins to tease him a little bit and says, well, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's gone off on a journey, maybe he's uh, busy doing something else, but he didn't answer. So it's Elijah's turn now, and he tells him to pour all the water on top of the altar, and then he prays and says, God, show yourself again, show yourself to be the true God. And God answers. Burns up the the sacrifice, the water, the other sacrifice. And the people know that Yahweh is the God of Israel. So they round up all the prophets and they put them to death. It's a great story. Great story. Um, I I really do love the Elijah stories. um, So much so I named one of my sons after him. So um, here's hoping he's not you know, killing 450 people, though. Um, So Elijah puts these false prophets to death. The people respond, and God sends rain on the earth again. Meanwhile, Jezebel finds out what Elijah has done to her prophets. These are the prophets she's been supporting as the queen. She's been feeding them. They've been eating at her table, and she doesn't like it. She vows to kill Elijah. She said, Let it, make it be to me if Elijah is not like one of the prophets by this time tomorrow. And someone tells Elijah, and he takes off, running out into the desert. He runs as far as he can and collapses. He's got no more strength left. So God sends an angel to take care of him. He brings him food and water. He tells him to take a nap. Which, by the way, is great advice. Anytime you're feeling just completely overwhelmed, eat a snack, take a nap, 
see how things look after that. Um, tuck that away somewhere. Um, so Elijah's there. And that brings us to where we find ourselves in our reading that Don read for us this morning. So I want you to imagine the kind of state that we find Elijah in as we enter into this reading. He's exhausted. He's scared. He's running for his life. He's desperate. He's confused. Imagine doing exactly what God told you to do and it leading to people wanting to kill you. I hope none of you have found yourselves literally running for your lives. But I'd also be willing to put some money on the idea that there's more than one person here in this congregation who have found themselves at one point or another in a similar state to Elijah, at least mentally and emotionally. You've been beaten down. You've been scared. You've felt like you were at the end of your rope. It doesn't take long for me to get back to those situations in my own life, in my mind. I can think of one time in particular, I, I was traveling in Congo I, when we were missionaries. I was alone, traveling in Congo. I was investigating some potential future ministry locations and connecting with friends of friends, so I didn't really know a whole lot of people, people I hadn't met before. I was in my second town on the trip, and I got sick, and when I went to fly back to Uganda so I could meet up with a team that was heading up to South Sudan to do some pastor training, and I was supposed to be part of that training team. I got to the airport, they take my passport, and they say, oh, but there's no reservation for you. I said, what? I know I had somebody make a reservation for me. I know they paid the money. But somewhere in the office or somewhere along the way, it had been made for the next day by mistake. And there was no space on the flight, which meant that I would miss the next flight to South Sudan, which meant I would have to stay another night, still somewhat sick. I would have to find uh, another place to stay. And I didn't know what to do. I was tired. I was re recovering. I barely knew anyone. I didn't speak the language well. And I felt like I was at the end of myself. Can you remember a time in your own life? Maybe where things seemed a bit bigger than what you could bear? Hold on to that for a minute in your mind. That's where Elijah was. And in his desperation, he chose to run out into the wilderness. But he wasn't just running into the desert willy-nilly. He, he had a purpose. He knew. He was headed toward Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. The same mountain where God had called to Moses from the burning bush. The same mountain where God had given the Israelites the law and entered into a covenant with them. Maybe you're more familiar with it by its name of Mount Sinai. Same mountain. And that is where Elijah's headed. He's going to a sacred place. A place where God has shown up before. A place where God has met his people. A place where Elijah can meet God. And so he goes to the mountain of God 
and God speaks. And he gives, him, he gives Elijah a chance to explain himself. Elijah, what are you doing here? I almost get the sense of a parent who gets a phone call from the school saying their child has been sent home for fighting or something along those lines. And they walk into the room and see the child sitting there at the kitchen table and pretend to be surprised. What are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be somewhere else? Aren't you supposed to be at school? That's kind of the sense I get in God's question. Elijah, what are you doing here? But I think it's significant that God asks a question. Because questions invite conversation and interaction and relationship. God doesn't just come to Elijah and start dictating to him and and yelling at him or anything like that. He comes to relate to him, to, to interact with him. And Elijah's answer shows the very depth of his despair. He didn't hold back what he was feeling. He felt isolated and alone. He felt confused, helpless, hopeless. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's hopeless. But in the midst of Elijah's despair, God met him. God invited Elijah to a deeper revelation of God's nature. He showed up for Elijah. But it's interesting to me, it wasn't in the wind, and it wasn't in the earthquake, and it wasn't in the fire. God didn't show up in some big, explosive, flashy manner, even though he had just done that at Mount Carmel. He had shown up by sending the fire. But this time God comes and he reveals himself in a whisper, in the sound of silence, in the stillness. And isn't that like God? We want him to come in some big, obvious, unmistakable way. You know, we want the sky writing in the the air or the voice in our ear that we can't miss. But more often... He comes in a whisper. He comes in the voice of a friend. He comes through the gentle peace in our heart. When Elijah got to the place where God could speak to him, Elijah received a refreshed vision of who God is. God asked him that question again. Elijah, what are you doing here? God gave him another chance, a chance to to change his answer, to allow his perspective to be shifted. But Elijah answered just the same way. He he must have been a slow learner like me. Um, He continued to let his circumstances define things for him. Rather than letting the God in whose presence he stood, you know, it said he went out and stood in the presence of God. Rather than allowing that God to define his circumstances. So God makes it pretty clear to Elijah. He gives him a renewed mission, and he gives Elijah a reminder of his place. God tells Elijah to go back the way he had come. God wasn't done with Elijah yet. Even though Elijah felt rejected, even though there were those who wanted him dead, God still had a mission for Elijah to accomplish. And in giving Elijah this renewed mission... God also reminded him 
of its place in the story. Elijah may have felt alone out there on the mountain in the middle of the wilderness, but there were 7,000 others who had been faithful to God. And Elijah may have felt helpless, but God still had plans to use him. And even though Elijah may have felt hopeless, God was still God. We've been talking this summer about growing our face because as C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Till We Have Faces, how can we stand before God face to face until we have faces? Elijah had the opportunity to stand face to face with God, or at least through his mantle that he put over his face. And the result was that he received a refreshed vision of who God is and how God works. And when Elijah saw again who God is and what he does, God gave him that renewed sense of mission. And he, gave, he reminded him of Elijah's place in the story. So Trinity, today my question for us is are we willing to put ourselves in a place where God can show up? Maybe out there you're feeling desperate today. Maybe you're weary of changes and transitions. Maybe you feel confused or alone. The good news is God didn't leave Elijah alone. And he doesn't leave us alone. So where are those places where God has met you in the past and will meet you again? It may be a physical location. For me, one of those places is Delanco Camp. Whenever there's been some big spiritual issue going on in my life, I go up to Delanco, and God has been so faithful to meet me there. Another for me is Hughes Auditorium, the chapel there at Asbury College. But it could also be a more meta... Uh, could also be a more metaphorical place, like the place of prayer or in the word. God meets us in those places as well. It could also be somewhere more symbolic but less exact of a location, like kneeling at an altar rail. For me, no matter where that altar rail is located, the act of kneeling at the rail puts my spirit in a posture where I'm submitted to God and more open to his listening. Being out in nature can have a similar impact on me. But where are those places for you? Where do you go where you, when you feel like Elijah was feeling? We need to put ourselves in those places again. Because we need a refreshed vision of who God is. We need to stand face to face with him. And see who he is again. Because it's too easy to hold on to how God has worked in the past. And expect him to work that way every time in the future. But God doesn't live in a box. And our God is the God who says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. We have to look at how God wants to work today in this situation. God was in the fire at Mount Carmel, but not at Mount Horeb. That refreshed vision of God changed Elijah's perspective. It gave him a renewed sense of mission. And that propelled him into the next stage of his ministry. It gave him the next steps that he was to follow in his marching orders. And when we as a church and as individuals get that refreshed vision of who God is, when we see God anew, God invites us into what he's doing. And it turns us outward because God is turned outward towards others. 
And we want to share that with the world around us. And that refreshed vision of God also reminded Elijah of his place in the larger story. God wasn't done using Elijah. And contrary to his thinking, God hadn't left Elijah alone. Those two things are true of us as well today. No matter where you find yourself, if you are willing to put yourself in the place where God can meet you, God still wants to use you. And there are things God wants you to do that you are uniquely equipped to do. But you're also not alone. I know it can feel that way at times. I've been there. Uh, A counselor who was working with us when we came back from Uganda told us one time that feelings make a really good caboose on the train, but they make a terrible engine. He said, don't let your feelings drive the train. And even when we feel alone, even when we feel like we're in a desperate situation, no matter where you find yourselves today, God wants to meet you there. He may not change your circumstances, but he wants to change you. God wants to give you a refreshed vision of who he is, to remind you of your place in the larger story, a place that turns us out in mission. So Trinity, today, will you put yourself in the place for God to meet with you face to face like he did for Elijah? Would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful that you come to us uh, in the midst of our desperation, in the midst of our hopelessness, in the midst of our joys. You come to us. You don't leave us alone. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would come to us wherever we are today and you'd give us that fresh vision of, your, of who you are, that you'd give us a renewed mission and a reminder of what you want to do in and through us. Would you help us to be willing to put ourselves in that place where we can meet with you? In Jesus' name, amen.